Part 2 of Chapter 5 of How to Analyze People on Sight. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Paul C. Newman. Storyfolksinger.co.uk. How to Analyze People on Sight Through the Science of Human Analysis The Five Human Types by Elsie Lincoln Benedict and Ralph Payne Benedict. Section 2 of Chapter 5. Section 12. Part 2 of Chapter 5. Is Lost in Chairs. The cerebral gets lost in the same chair that is itself lost under the large, spreading osseous, and for the same reason. Built for the average, chairs are much too large for the cerebral, as they are too small for the big bony man. So the cerebral's legs dangle, and his arms don't reach. Dislikes social life. Though a most sympathetic friend, the cerebral does not make many friends, and does not care for many. He is too abstract to add to the gaiety of social gatherings, for these are based on the enjoyment of the concrete. Enjoys the intellectuals. Readers, thinkers, writers, intellectuals like himself are the kinds of people the cerebral enjoys most. Another reason why he has few friends is because these people, being in the great minority, are not easy to find. Ignores the ignorant. People who let others do their thinking for them, and those who are not aware of the great things going on in world movements, are not popular with this type. He sometimes has a secret contempt for them, and ignores them as completely as they ignore him. Avoids the limelight. Modesty and reserve, almost as marked in the men as in the women, characterize this extreme type. They do things of great moment sometimes, invent something or write something extraordinary, but even then they try to avoid being lionized. They prefer the shadows rather than the spotlight. Thus they miss many of the good things less brainy and more aggressive people gain. But it does no good to explain this to a cerebral. He enjoys retirement and is constantly missing opportunities because he refuses to mix. Cares little for money. Friends mean something to the cerebral. Fame sometimes means much, but money means little. In this, he is the exact opposite of the osseous, to whom the pecuniary advantages or disadvantages of a thing are always significant. The pure cerebral finds it difficult to interest himself in his finances. He seldom counts his change. He will go away from his room, leaving every cent he owns lying on the dresser, and then forget to lock the door. This type of person almost never asks for a raise. He is too busy dreaming dreams to plan what he will do in his old age. He prefers staying at the same job with congenial associates to finding another, even if it paid more. Very often poor. Since we get only what we go after in this world, it follows that the cerebral is often poor. To make money, one must want money. Competition for it is so keen that only those who want it badly and work with efficiency ever get very much of it. The cerebral takes so little interest in money that he gets lost in the shuffle. Not until he wakes up some morning with the poorhouse staring him in the face does he give it serious consideration, and then he does not do much about it. Almost never rich. 
History shows that few people of the pure cerebral type ever became rich. Even the most brilliant gave so much more thought to their mission than the practical ways and means that they were usually seriously handicapped for the funds necessary to its materialization. Madame Curie, co-discoverer of radium, said to be the greatest living woman of this type, is world famous and has done humanity a noble service. But her experiments were always carried on against great disadvantages because she had not the financial means to purchase more than the most limited quantities of the precious substance. About clothes. Clothes are almost the last thing the cerebral thinks about. As we have seen, all the other types have decided preferences as to their clothes. The alimentive demands comfort, the thoracic style, the muscular durability, and the osseous sameness. But the extreme cerebral type says anything will do. So we often see him with a coat of one color, trousers of another, and a hat of another, with no gloves at all, and his tie missing often absent-minded. We have always said people were absent-minded when their minds were absent from what they were doing. This often applies to the cerebral, for he is capable of greater concentration than other types. Also, he is so frequently compelled to do things in which he has no interest that his mind naturally wanders to the things he cares about. A cerebral professor, whom we know, sometimes appeared before his Harvard classes in bedroom slippers. A thoracic would not be likely to let his own brother catch him in his. Writes better than he talks. The poor talker sometimes surprises us by being a good writer. Such a one is usually of the cerebral type. He likes to think out every phrase of a thing and put it into just the right words before giving it to the world. So many a cerebral who does little talking outside his intimate circle does a good deal of surreptitious writing. It may be only the keeping of a diary, jotting down memoranda, or writing long letters to his friends, but he will write something. Some of the world's greatest ideas have come to light first in the forgotten manuscripts of people of this type who died without showing their writings to anyone. Evidently they did not consider them of sufficient importance, or did not care as much about publishing them as putting them down. An inveterate reader Step into the reference rooms of your city library on a summer's day, and you will stand more chance of finding examples of this extreme type there than in any other spot. You may have thought these extreme types are difficult to locate, since the average American is a combination, but it is easy to find any of them if you look in the right places. In every case you will find them in the very places where a study of human analysis would tell you to look for them. Where to look for pure types? When you wish to find some pure alimentives, go to a restaurant that is famous for its rich foods. When you want to see several extreme thoracics, drop into any vaudeville show and take your choice from the actors or from the audience. When you are looking for pure musculars, go to a boxing match or a prize fight and you'll be surrounded by them. When looking for the osseous, attend a convention of expert accountants, bankers, lumbermen, hardware merchants or pioneers. All these types appear in other places and in other vocations, but they are certain to be present in large numbers any day in any of the above-named places. But when you are looking for this interesting little extreme thinker type, you must go to a library. We specify the reference room of the library 
because those who search for fiction, newspapers and magazines are not necessarily of the pure type, and we specify a day in summer rather than in winter so that you will be able to select your subjects from amongst people who are there in spite of the weather rather than because of it. Interested in everything. I never saw a book without wanting to read it, said a cerebral friend to us the other day. This expresses the interest every person of this type has in the printed page. I never see a library without wishing I had time to go there and stay until I had read everything in it. The Bookworm So it is small wonder that such a one becomes known early in life as a bookworm. As a little child, he takes readily to reading and won't take to much else. Because we all learn quickly what we like, he is soon devouring books for older heads. Why won't he run and play like other children, wails mother, and that boy ought to be made to join the ball team, scolds father. But that boy continues to keep his nose in a book. He can talk on almost any subject when he will, and knows pretty well what is going on in the world at an age when other boys and girls are oblivious to everything but gymnasiums and girls. Old for his years. The little old man or little old woman of ten is always a cerebral child. The alimentives are the babies of the race and never entirely grow up no matter how many years they live. But the cerebral is born old. From infancy he shows more maturity than other children. The teacher's pet. His studiousness and tractableness lead to one reward in childhood, though it often costs him dear as a man. He usually becomes the teacher's favourite, and no wonder, he always has his lessons, he gives her little trouble, and is about all that keeps many a teacher at her poorly paid post. Little sense of time. The extreme cerebral often has a deficient sense of time. He is less conscious of the passage of the hours than any other type. The muscular and the osseous often have an almost uncanny time sense, but the extreme cerebral man often lacks it forgetting to wind his watch, or to consult it for hours when he does, is a familiar habit of this type. We know a bride in Detroit, whose flat looked out on a bakery and a bookstore. She told us that she used to send her cerebral hubby across the street for the loaf of bread that was found lacking, just as they were ready to sit down to dinner, only to wait hours, and then have him come back with a book under his arm, no bread, and no realisation of how long he had been gone. Inclined to the unorthodox. Other types tend to follow various religions according to the individual's upbringing, but the cerebral composes a large percentage of the unorthodox. The political reformer. Because all forms of personal combat are distasteful to him, the pure cerebral does not go out and fight for reform as often as the muscular, nor die for causes as often as the osseous types but almost every cerebral believes in extreme reforms of one kind or another. He is comparatively silent, but faithful member of clubs, leagues and other kinds of reform organisation. He may never star in them, he seldom cares to, but his might is always ready when subscriptions are taken, even if he has to go without breakfast for a week to make up for it. This type is usually sufficiently intelligent to know the world needs reforming and sufficiently conscientious to want to help to do it. He is not bound by traditions or customs as much as other types, but does more of his own thinking. Without the foresight and faithfulness of the cerebrals, very few reforms could have started or have lived to finish. The Social Nonconformist 
Ask any small-bodied, large-headed man if he believes in the double standard of morals, anti-suffrage, eternal punishment, saloons, or the four hundred. This little man with the big head may not openly challenge you or argue with you when you stand up for things as they are, for he is a peaceable chap, but he inwardly smiles or sneers at what he considers your troglodyte ideas. He sees a day coming when babies will be named for their fathers, whether the minister officiated or not, when the man who talks about the good old days of a wide-open saloon on every corner will himself be a hazy myth, and when society idlers will not be considered better than people who earn their livings. The World's Pathfinder The cerebral, therefore, leads the world in ideas. The world is managed by fat men, entertained by florid men, built by muscular men, opposed by bony men. But it is improved in the final analysis by its thinking men. These thinkers have a difficult time of it. They preach to deaf ears, and often they die in poverty. But at last posterity comes around to their way of thinking, abandons the old ruts, and follows the trails they have blazed. Therefore many great thinkers who were unknown while alive became famous after death. More often than not, fame is the food of the tomb. Indifference to Surroundings A wise man it was who said, Let me see a man's surroundings and I will tell you what he is. The cerebral does not really live in his house, but in his head, and for that reason does not feel as great an urge to decorate, amplify, or even furnish the place in which he dwells. Step into the room of any little-bodied, large-headed man, and you'll be struck by two facts. That he has fewer gimcracks and more journals lying around than the rest of your friends. In the room of the Alimentive you'll find cushions, sofas, and eats. In that of the Thoracic you'll find colourful, unusual things. The muscular will have durable, solid, plain things. The osseous will have fewer of everything, but what he does have will be in order. But the pure cerebral's furnishings, if he is responsible for them, will be an indifferent array, with no two pieces matching. Furthermore, everything will be piled with newspapers, magazines, books, and clippings. Often die young. The good die young is an old saying which may or may not be true, but there is no doubt that the extreme cerebral type of individual often dies at an early age. The reason is clear. An efficient but controlled assimilative system is the first requisite for long life, and the pure cerebral does not have an efficient one. Moreover, he is prone to neglect what nutritive mechanism he does have by regular eating, by being too poor to afford wholesome foods, and by forgetting to eat at all. Physical Assets By reason of his deficient physicality, the cerebral cannot be said to possess any decided physical assets. But two tendencies which help decidedly to prolong life are under-eating and his refusal to dissipate. It's been said many times by the best-known experts that more deaths are caused annually in America by overeating than by any other two causes. Under-eating is a very necessary precaution, but the cerebral carries it too far. The cerebral, lacking a large alimentary system, is not tempted to overload his stomach or overtax his vital organs, and because he is a highly evolved type, possessing little of the instincts which are at the bottom of most dissipation, 
he is not addicted to late hours, wine, women, or excitement. Diseases he is most susceptible to. Nervous diseases of all kind most frequently afflict this type. His nervous system is supersensitive. It breaks down more easily and more completely than that of more elemental types, just as a high-powered car is more easily wrecked than a truck. Music he likes. Highbrow music is kept alive mostly by highbrows. While the other types cultivate a taste for the grand opera or simulate it because it is supposedly proper, the cerebral really enjoys it. In the top gallery at any good concert you will find many cerebrals. Entertainment he prefers. The serious drama and education lectures are other favourite entertainments of the cerebral. He cares little for vaudeville, girl shows or claptrap farces. The kind of programme that keeps the fat man's smile spread from ear to ear takes the cerebral to the box office for his money. A steady patron at the movies. The cerebral goes to the movies more than any other type save the fat man, but not for the same reasons. The large-brained, small-bodied man cares nothing for most of the recreations with which the other types amuse themselves, so the theatre is almost his only diversion. It is oftentimes the only kind of entertainment within the reach of his purse, and it deals with many different subjects, in almost all of which the pure cerebral has some interest. Don't laugh at same things. But if you'll notice next time you go to a movie, it will be clear to you that the fat people and the large-headed people do not laugh at the same things. The pie-throwing and cutie coquette that convulse the two-hundred-pounder fail to so much as turn up the corners of the other man's mouth. And the subtle things that amuse the cerebral go over the heads of the pure alimentives. Cares for no sports. But the fat man and the large-brained man have one trait in common. Neither of them cares for strenuous sports. The fat man dislikes them because he is too heavy on his feet. The cerebral dislikes them because he is too heavy at the opposite extremity. He expends what little energy he has in mental activities, so has none left for violent physical exertion. Likes mental games. This type enjoys quiet games requiring thought. Chess and checkers are favourites with them. The impersonal. The cerebral is the most impersonal of all types. While the alimentive tends to measure everything from the standpoint of what it can do for him personally, the cerebral tends to think more impersonally and to be interested in many things outside of his own affairs. Lacks pugnacity. Primitive things of every kind are distasteful to the cerebral. The instincts of digestion, sex, hunting and pugnacity are but little developed in him. He is therefore a man who likes harmony, avoids coming to blows, and goes out of his way to keep the peace. Such a man does not go hunting, and seldom owns a gun. He dislikes to kill or harm any creature. The cleverest crook. The cerebral is usually a naturally moral person, but when lacking in conscience, either through bad training or other causes, he occasionally turns to crime for his income. This is because his physical frailty makes it difficult for him to do heavy work, while his mentality enables him to think out ways and means of getting a living without it. Though the clumsy criminal may belong to any type, 
The cleverest crooks, those who defy detection for years, always have a large element of the cerebral in their makeup. Big Brains in Little Jobs There are two kinds of work in the world, headwork and handwork, mental and manual. If you can star in either, life guarantees you a good living, but if you are good at neither, you are doomed to dependence. The cerebral's physical frailty unfits him for the manual, and unless he is school or self-educated, he becomes the sorriest of all human misfits. He fails between the two and leads a precarious existence working in the lighter indoor positions requiring the least mentality. If you will keep your eyes open, you will many times note that the little waiter in the high-class restaurant or hotel has a head very large for his body. Such men are much better read, have a far greater appreciation of art and literature, and more natural refinement than the porky patrons they serve. Social Assets A fine sense of the rights of others and natural modesty and refinement are the chief social assets of this type. Social Liabilities Lack of self-expression, too great reserve and too much abstractness in conversation are the things that handicap the cerebral. His small stature and timid air also add to his appearance of insignificance and cause him to be overlooked at social affairs. Emotional Assets Sympathy, gentleness and self-sacrifice are other assets of this type. Emotional Liabilities A tendency to nervous excitement and to a lack of balance are the chief emotional handicaps of this type. Business Assets this type has no traits which can properly be called business assets. He dislikes business, is repelled by its standards, and has no place in any of its purely commercial branches. Business liabilities. His inability to keep his feet on the ground and his tendency to live in the clouds and to be generally impractical unfit this type for business life. Domestic strength. Tenderness, consideration and idealism are the chief domestic assets of the cerebral type. Domestic weakness. Inability to provide for his family, incapacity for making money necessary to meet their needs and his tendency to spend the little he does have on impossible schemes are what wreck the domestic life of many splendid cerebral men. Her inability to make one dollar to do the work of two is a serious handicap to the cerebral wife or mother. Should aim at. This man should aim at building up his body and practicalizing his mental processes. Should avoid. The cerebral should avoid shallow, ignorant people, speculation and those situations that carry him farther away from the real world. His strong points. His thinking, capacity, progressiveness, unselfishness and highly civilized instincts are the strongest points of this type. His weakest points. Impracticality, dreaminess, physical frailty and his tendency to plan without doing are the traits which stand in the way of his success. How to deal with this type socially. Don't expect him to be a social lion. Don't expect him to mingle with many. Invite him when there are to be few congenial souls and if he wanders into the library, leave him alone. How to deal with this type in business. Don't employ this man for heavy manual labour or where there is more arm work than head work Give him mental positions or none. If you are dealing with him as a tradesman, resist the temptation to take advantage of his impracticality and don't treat him as if you thought money was everything. 
Remember the chief distinguishing marks of the cerebral in the order of their importance are the high forehead and a proportionately large head for the body. Any person who has these is largely of the cerebral type, no matter what other types may be included in his makeup. To understand combinations, determine which type predominates in a subject. If there is any doubt in your mind about this, do these four things. First, note the body build, which one of the five body types, as shown in charts 1, 3, 5, 7 and 9, does he most resemble. In doing this, it will aid you if you will note whether fat, bone or muscle predominates in his bodily structure. Second, decide which of the five typical faces his face most resembles. Third, decide which of the five typical hands his hands most resemble. Fourth, if still undecided, note his voice, gestures and movements and they will leave no doubt in your mind as to which of these types comes first and which second. Having decided which type predominates and which is second to him, the significance of this combination is made clear to you by the following law. Law of combination. The type predominating in a person determines what he does throughout his life, the nature of his main activities. The type which comes second in development will determine the way he does things, the methods he will follow in doing what his predominant type signifies. The third element, if noticeable, merely flavours his personality. Thus, a cerebral muscular alimentive does mental things predominantly throughout his life, but in a more muscular way than if he were an extreme cerebral. The alimentive element, being third down the list, will tend to make him eat and assimilate more food than he otherwise would. End of section 2 of chapter 5